Welcome to this week's episode of Resisting the Dragon's Beast. I'm Pastor Michael Zarling, the author. I'm here with Pastor Peter Hagen, who is our uh, editor of the book. And I have a new background today. It's it's Hoth in Star Wars, but it's Wampa's Cave. This is where uh, the Wampa had taken Luke Skywalker. And the reason I chose this one is because it's been cold here the last couple of days. And and I put on Facebook yesterday that it was too cold for a Tauntaun, but not too cold for a fat tire bike. And so I was biking yesterday in my fat tire bike. I did about 12 miles today, so I'm pretty exhausted because it's it's a beast. It's a tank going out yeah. in the snow. But I'm gaining all the respect of people because they think I'm crazy. And, uh -huh. Yeah. And then Peter's there with a nice warm set background setting of him in a library with all of his books and so forth. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So gaining respect from others, I don't know if that attitude that they have toward you is is respect or or otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderment. It, I don't know. Yeah, bewilderment. What 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 kind of pastor do we have that does this and thinks it's fun? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so talking about getting into fun, that's this chapter, uh, chapter eight, the gift of reason. This is the COVID chapter. And I had someone call me the other day, uh, Pastor Persons, and I'll talk about him at the end of the podcast. But he had called the other day and he said that I should have started with this chapter. And uh I didn't want to start with this chapter because I didn't want this just to be about COVID, although COVID is the one that was the the impetus oh, to get us thinking of everything. But he did say, too, uh, he was wondering where we were all going in the first couple of chapters with Romans 13 and Revelation 13. And then we got to chapter 5, where he tied everything in with biblical and historical reasons for resistance and examples, and he's, ah, oh, now I get what you were setting up. And I do remember one review I had early on with the book. He said that he loved the early chapters of the book, but when he got to like this chapter, it was a switch, and it was kind of like a, he said it was Pastor Zarling's thumb in the nose to other, to other people. And I didn't really think of it that way when I wrote it, but... Mm -hmm. I don't think that's an unfair assessment. <laughs> yeah, you can just own that. Um, yeah. You know, you're writing this because I, I think I'm right. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. Uh, and, and so we're going to get into this chapter. Uh, page 119. I begin with this illustration. In the beginning of Braveheart, because I wanted to not just use Star Wars and Star Trek references, but also some manly movies. So in the beginning of Braveheart, young William Wallace, not the Star Wars and Star Trek are not manly. That's that's not what I meant. That's right, uh, I was thinking it. Yeah, wants to join the Scottish clans in fighting the British. Malcolm Wallace says to his son, William, I know you can fight, but it's our wits that make us men. God has given us Quits our human reason. He has also given us a conscience, our awareness of our relationship with God. In this chapter, we'll look at why so many Christians use their gifts of reason and conscience specifically with their resistance to masks 
mandates, lockdowns, the COVID-19 vaccine, vaccine passports, and similar governmental influences of everyday life. So this is the longest chapter in the book because I'm just trying to lay out the lay out everything, the facts. Now, years later, the facts can come out, and we're going to see as we discuss this today and over the next few weeks that a lot of these, these things that we weren't allowed to publicly share. So, Peter, what happens when we stop using our gift of reason? Oh, boy. Um, when we stop using that gift of reason, then all sorts of um, illogical things start happening. Um, and we give up our reason and we, we are just pushed along by like the, the big three buttons that your insurance agent will use with you. Um, F-U-D, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Um, and reason is this God-given ability to organize things in a logical fashion. And when we don't have that, then the only other, you know, reason is kind of the rational side of um, thinking things through. When we're not using our reason, then we are left to the whim of our emotion. Um, you think of it as reason is the head and emotion is the heart. That's kind of a simplistic way of looking at it, but I think it works. And um, if somebody is able to manipulate our emotions, that is that is a very strong motivator that we often, especially if we aren't using our reason and our logic, we don't have the terminology to think through how we feel and to put it into a construct that we can talk about. We just get pushed along by, I'm afraid of this, I, um, I'm uncertain about that, and I doubt that I've done enough. And so usually what happens is somebody you know, plays on our emotions and they're either selling us something, such as advertising and, um, and all the sports that you see on TV, they get you excited about the game, and then they're like, oh, you should, you should drink this beer because Packer players drink this beer or something like that. So they get you excited about something or they get you fearful about something and end up pushing you in and manipulating a larger group of people into a particular action. Uh, we see that, you know, in an explosive way in uh, the Russian Revolution, um, a little over 100 years ago. We see that in a more subtle way in um, the Nordic countries, uh, specifically Denmark. Um, that's the, the book that I'm currently reading. Right now, I'm only a chapter in. This will be already our book recommendation for today. It's called Manipulism, um, not manipulation, manipulism, talking about how um, different political ideologies and structures of government use emotion to uh, basically manipulate people into thinking and acting a certain way because they have made themselves devoid of reason, logic, and rationality. Yeah, I think that that last thing you said is really good. Everything you said is very important. We'll touch on all those, but that manipulation and to think as we go through this, how we were manipulated. And so that's what the part of the, a big part of this chapter is about is pointing out, all right, this is what the experts said. We're going to get to that in a moment. And, and yet they were manipulating things, not really sharing all of the facts or even making things up. And we'll give you some of the facts of how they made those things up. Uh, another talking about reading recommendations. So I just finished listening to Peter Pan today. That was a classic. And then today I, on my bike ride, I started listening to a recommendation from one of our listeners on Dietrich Bonhoeffer. 
So it went from something really light, you know, like five hours on Peter Pan, to something really heavy, the life of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a Lutheran pastor, resisted Hitler and, uh, and the Nazis during World War II. Uh, and then and I, we were talking about selling something. I, you know, we've had people coming to the house, selling us on a vacuum cleaner, on an air purifying system, all of those things. Yeah, they're trying to sell you something. And when you're looking at what were they trying to sell us here? And I think they're really trying to sell us fear. Uh, think of, I didn't mention this in the book, so we can mention it here. Think of what happened while President Trump was in office. What was up in the corner of CNN every episode of their news? It was it was a death tracker. How many people had died of COVID? And then notice what happened when President Biden came into office. There's no we still had COVID. We're still dealing with it. But all of a sudden, that fear, that fear tracker of the deaths was gone. Okay. But also, just if you if people really use their gift of reason. And they see this ticker going up over and over again, several, you know, several tens and twenties during an episode and so forth. Where are they getting these numbers in real time? That doesn't make any sense. They could not have, they weren't calling the hospitals and saying who died of COVID. They weren't having the hospitals and uh, the government officials calling them. So where were they getting the numbers from? I'm not going to say they were making them up. But you can use your own gift of reason of where did those numbers come from? And then why did they all of a sudden disappear? So it's a gift of reason. Anything you want to add to that? I, uh, I don't have a link for this. Um, and I realize it's probably begging the question to say um, you could probably find it with a little bit of Googling of, you know, eight or 10 minutes. Um, but the the number of COVID diagnoses um, dropping off precipitously when the federal government aid to hospitals for COVID deaths ended. Yeah. Um, so what, what do you mean by that, Peter? What was going on during the, the whole point of COVID, the height of COVID? One of my concerns, I mean, I've got two major concerns in, in hindsight. Uh, the first one is the less interesting one or more interesting, however nerdy you want to be, um, is that when they were doing the, the nose swipe to test, um, it wasn't that, that test wasn't designed in order to test whether somebody had a disease or not. Um, and there was no there was no standard threshold for how many generations, how many, how often you know, how many generations should they multiply this before testing to see if it met the threshold? Um, is it gonna be 28 generations and then it's either positive or negative or is it gonna be 38? Because by the time we get up to 38, 39 generations, you're not gonna get a negative test. Um, and even just from a scientific medical perspective that we left so much data on the table. If we, if we didn't keep track of how many generations it was, to and correspond that to patient outcome or correlate that to um, to symptoms or anything like that. I think that is that is one thing that was overlooked and um, you know for better or for worse it was. I won't try to speculate as to reasoning behind it, although sometimes you know just having a test that is quick and easy is easier than collecting all the data because then you have to store the data and all that. The other concern is I understand the shutdown was basically a government imposed um, 
atomic bomb dropped on our economy. <laughs> um, and I, I'll leave it to somebody else to debate the efficacy of that. Um, and I think we're starting to see some of that. There have been a couple of reports about that as well. But the biggest concern for me is when there's a monetary incentive to have a positive result. That if a hospital says, all right, we've got somebody who just died um, and we're, okay, I know you're with your loved one, but we have to come in here and get a quick COVID test on this body um, so that we can say, did this person die with COVID or did this person die of COVID? Um, somebody's in a car crash and we have to get a quick nasal swab so that did this person die of COVID or with COVID? Because that means the hospital gets a check mm -hmm. that if there is a monetary incentive that will skew the data. Exactly. Yeah. And that's a big thing. I written that down to died with COVID died from COVID, you know, because if you, again, if you're really paying attention and most of us weren't uh, like you and I were texting back and forth this week that you like the phrase, uh, you know, watching Hulu, eating your hot pockets uh, because that's, that's how we're mollified that, we are if if we did not have comfortable homes with our with all of the groceries we needed and everything we needed for streaming, we would have been out there and we would have said, no, we're, we're not doing this. But they could keep us quiet, kind of like little mice in a cage, just keeping us happy and comfortable. And then, you know, because we became lackadaisical, we just become lazy. That's part of our 21st century American genealogy right now. Uh, and so we didn't really do all the gift, use our gift of reasoning to think these things through. And one of those things is, all right, this guy, you said someone dying in a car accident. And I know of examples because I would read things that are not from the normal news sources where they would have someone that died by falling off of a, a ladder. And then, oh, he died. Not, he didn't die from the crash with the ground. He died because he had COVID. No, he ha he may have been been sick with COVID and so forth. Uh, one of our own members. Uh, he died of a. He had a massive heart attack, and this was toward the end of COVID. They started letting people come back into the hospital, but he had a massive heart attack, and uh, they weren't going to let any of the family in because they said he had COVID and the, the wife was adamant. No, he had COVID uh, two or three months before at Christmas time, he was very sick. These are all the antibodies. He does not have COVID three months later. And she was able to get them to see that. But those are the kind of things that we were not pushing back on in the beginning. And I think together with that, then, if we desert the gift of human reason and rationality, that is one of God's tools, one of God's gifts for functioning in this world. If we don't use that, we are at the whim of our emotion of fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And you'll notice that the Christian has an answer to all of those. I have nothing to fear because Jesus broke the power of death. I am not certain, uncertain about anything because Jesus holds tomorrow. I'm not afraid of death. What are you going to do? <laughs> like you, yeah. I'll be in heaven. And that's why, um, especially if you look at the 20th century, we'll look at that. Uh, the totalitarian and authoritarian regimes of the 20th century saw Christianity as such a threat 
because even if they could coerce outside behavior, outer behavior, they could never gain the heart because the Christian isn't afraid of anything. We don't have to be uncertain about anything. And even death itself isn't going to stop the kingdom of Christ. And with the last one, we have no doubts because yeah. we have the truth of Christ. Exactly. At the bottom of page 119, I talk about the experts because we were told, follow the science, trust the experts. So I will share with this episode when I share it on uh, Facebook, a meme that I saved the other day because Peter knows that I'm, I work on sharing at least one or two memes every day. They're usually dad jokes, but this one is a little different. It's a little biting and it, it has to say, uh, anytime I hear mainstream media talk about uh, experts, this is how I imagine them looking. And what it is, is it's a bunch of guys that are all dressed in Beaker costumes from the Muppets. Okay. You know, if you know Beaker, he doesn't talk. He just meeps and so forth. Uh, but that's kind of where we are with the experts. Uh, and, I mean, and, my... and so, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Well, what I, I was going to say with that is I, I use the example of like you might trust your expert of a cardiologist or an auto mechanic because my auto mechanic, Jared, called me today. I took my daughter Bell's vehicle in because the check engine light was on that it needed an oil change. He said, yeah, it's going to need this. I don't remember what it, what it was. It's about eight or eight fifty. And I said, just go for it. He said, are you sure? That I trust you. Oh, I trust him. But if it was a different auto mechanic and, you know, I'll, I'm just out somewhere and I'm and my car breaks down, that person, you know, like that person could be messing around with me. Uh, they do that with my daughter, Lydia, who's away at college and she goes in to get her oil changed. And the guy said, well, you need these filters clean. You need this done, that done. And she calls me up and said, what should I do? I said, Absolutely not. You get your oil changed and you bring it back to Jared. We trust him. But we're told in 2020, we've got to trust the experts and not be able to trust ourselves. Or we have to trust this certain set of experts, not this other set of experts that believe exactly the same way and their voices were shut down. Yeah, and, and I guess that's that's kind of what I tell people now when I um, have some of this conversation and they're like, oh, um, you know, my doctor said this or, you know, the, the other recommendation is is that. And I, I have respect for a profession. I've been through eight years of schooling. I've got letters before and after my name, probably at some point. Um, eight years of schooling doesn't impress me. <laughs> Like, yeah, I've been there and I know I know you're 26 years old. If you had eight years of schooling or tack on a few more and you're almost 28 or 30, um, you still don't know up from down. And that doesn't mean that um, that you even have an expertise that is above the average. Like you graduate with eight years of schooling, you might be top of the class and, uh, you know, a Navy SEAL and an astronaut and I graduate from Harvard or you might be you skimmed by by the skin of your teeth. Um, it's it's not as impressive, but we we look for an expert because of that that fear and uncertainty and doubt. Yeah, talking about that degree, I say that all the time to my girls. I'll just do something that's pretty simple and figure it out. And I say, Well, I do have a master's degree after all. And it, it has doesn't have anything to do with whatever we're fixing and working on. And then they'll go, Dad it's a master's degree of divinity. It doesn't mean anything. Now it does mean something because it, it, what it, I can become a pastor, but the idea is just because you have a degree doesn't mean you necessarily know what you're talking about. 
So this next question I have in the study guide, Peter, I'll let you answer this one first. How did your church uh, deal with COVID? And did they discuss everything to come to consensus, conclusion, using common sense? If not, why not? If so, why so? Oh, excellent question. Um, so I will preface this, you know, just generally speaking, we, we saw a lot of the same things that were happening elsewhere. We had uh, some recommendations from the government. Um, and our governor here, he did not um, use executive power to require churches and other organizations to close. Um, he made a request. Um, and our congregation is blessed with a, uh, a large number of people who um, are very competent in their vocations, you know, small business owners, couple in the medical profession and field. Um, and in some of those cases, they even have an over a body of oversight, like, um, you know, professional association that that gives a recommendation. Um, and so we saw, you know, a lot of the same videos and headlines from around the world um, that, you know, the Drudge Report picked up in January that someone in Wuhan had a cough. And then um, we saw the videos of, of all the coffins lining the church in Italy. And, and that was kind of like a, a wake up moment for a lot of us um, and so what we ended up doing was you know our council had a couple of special meetings and um, and we decided you know for a period of time because we don't know exactly how this is all going to play out we will um, stop having worship services in person you know for about two months maybe three months um, and that was around that time that we really doubled down on intra-congregational communication you know let's you know emails and phone calls and phone trees and start a facebook group and um and all those things um and then we started opening you know we start resume services and um in june of that year i think or maybe end of may and so we had one service indoors then we had one service outdoors for the entirety of the summer and in the process then um one of our people who's a small business owner and also works in a medical profession. Um, he did some research and found some ionizers that really create ionized air to neutralize uh, bacteria, viruses, other germs, um, as well as smells and odors. And so we installed ionizers for the whole building. And it's, um, you know, so it's ionized air, it's you know, sanitized more or less. Um, and it has its own clinical studies to go along with it, as well as anecdotal. And um, all the libraries in Toledo, um, including the one that I'm at right now, installed the exact same ionizer across all of their all of their branch locations. And so that was, um, you know, at least something practical. Um, and, and that included like video updates on YouTube for all of our people. Um, and that was basically it. And, you know, over time we, we got through. And um, I mean, it was, it was frustrating that you know the most the most at risk people i mean some of our older people got sick and had to deal with some of you know people who are hospitalized um but spiritually at risk you know like new confirmands um and then you're like oh we're not having church for three months and then everybody's afraid of everything um mm -hmm. and we we ended up losing a few um people who had been brand new confirmands just before that yeah yeah and for us uh you know we were like most other churches, we shut down for a little while and then we opened back up and had like 10 in worship and, and then we were live streaming it. And what I did when we were closed is I would have people in the church families and schedule them for 
uh, like a half hour. We come in for a devotion and communion. Our fellowship area is called our friendship room. And I'd sit there all day and they would uh, fill out the times. And then I, I said, I have the same devotion and, and then commute private communion with them. Uh, so that was a way that they could uh, still hear God's word and commune. We did Good Friday service where I and the pastors at First Evan downtown and at New Hope, we each took one or two devotions uh, for the seven words from of Jesus from the cross, and we recorded ourselves, and then we used those in all three church websites and Facebook and so forth. But then we opened up, you know, you had you know, a certain amount of people, but we just kind of went over that. And you had the tape on the pews for every six feet, but understanding that our, our pews are really close together. We may have taped off two pews, but we were still four feet apart or whatever. And mm -hmm. for a while they took out, the ushers took out the, the Bibles and the hymnals and they were uh, wiping everything down, all the pew caps before the next service. And eventually we just stopped doing it. We put the Bibles and hymnals back. We start, we use the bulletins. And then here is the big thing. And this is in the introduction to the book is, you know, we have every Sunday communion here. And so we went back, we were just doing normal communion and we had members going, uh, Hey, when can we have common cup? If you want common cup, the chalice, we're going to do it. And, and so when, when people are, are doing those kind of things, they're saying, I'm not afraid. And we had added a third service too. So that was like a mask only everyone that came, you wore a mask. I only wore a mask when I gave communion and greeted them because you can't talk with a mask on. And the big thing is, this is how you knew it was kind of a charade is we kind of went through the motions in church and then you got into our fellowship area of the friendship room and everyone's standing just like they would normally without COVID. We're all eating our Kringle and our donuts and drinking coffee and really close to each other. And then, all right, forget it. We had a big funeral and we we only have room for 180 to 200. We squeeze everyone in and it was that many. We took the tape off and never put the tape back up again. We we're back to normal. And again, that's the whole reason why I was asked to write the book because we were doing things differently in this part of, of the Wisconsin Synod than other, uh, than other churches were doing. We weren't doing anything really different than other wells churches were doing elsewhere just for this area it was different. So this is a good thing when you read the book and you do a study and you use a study guide, take the time to talk about this, not to uh, get on your pastor or your people say, Oh, I wish we wouldn't have done that. Or we should have done this or whatever that was in the past is this is question is not meant to uh, break the eighth commandment and, uh, go back. It's a, This is all about preparing for the next time this happens. And that's why I asked the question this way. Did you come to a common sense uh, and consensus conclusion? Because I think a lot of things, like you said very well before, Peter, we were just on fear and uncertainty. And I think this is the big thing. We were reacting. Now, the next time this happens, we're going to be proactive. So mm -hmm. I don't know if you want to add any of that. No, I mean, nope. thinking, okay. think, I guess, yeah, thinking back, there was, 
it was kind of a wild and woolly time. And, um, and obviously there was a lot more involved in, um, the weekly decisions and the daily decisions. And, um, and a lot of that didn't settle down until after, you know, we kind of saw how things started to shake out. So then we get into, now we get into really controversial stuff because we're going to talk about masks. And so again, the experts. So I talk about Fauci and what he says or said about the masks and the social distancing and so forth. And we'll talk about all that. But I'll, again, I'll share this link on the Facebook page. This was from Not the B, uh, January 11th of this year. The headline is Fauci tells Congress the six foot social distancing rule quote, sort of just appeared and was, quote, likely not based on scientific data. Okay. Well, you know, again, those things are, later on when we get to the, the six-foot distancing, I'll, I'll show how that was just all made up. And the same thing with the mask. It was all made up. And because you notice who was the mask for? The masks were originally designed if you were going to wear it because you were sick, but notice how that changed. It's people were wearing it because they were afraid other people were sick. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've got the, uh, somebody locally here that I've talked with about this exact topic and they had, um, served in the military and their specific job specialty was in contamination control. I forget the exact wording they use, but it was basically if there's a radioactive spill, um, if there's a biohazard, you know, biochemical weapon or other biological warfare um, or pandemic pestilence, anything like that happens. This person was the one to say, here's what we do. And their their word that set the policy um, was something that even those above them in rank would have to listen to. This was the person who would go in with all the gear and eventually declare, you know, that a site was clean or um, give the recommend the requirements for what the other military personnel had to wear for protective gear. And so I asked them and, and I was like, OK, um, you know, we're talking about virus here. Is that cloth mask thing? Is that N95 thing? And, and they, they just laughed, you know, uh, the whole cloth mask idea um, or any any of those it was like well that that she's they said that doesn't do anything um you need like an n95 or um you know i when i work construction i i usually wore an n95 because we worked in a very dusty environment or a, a p100 which is like the respirator with um you know canisters that you can put in there they said that'll make a difference um but all this other stuff is is just a joke and and like the social effects are the most interesting one like here are, you know basically children and we had small children at home we had a newborn at the time um where they can't see your face they can't communicate with you they can't have a smile they can't interact and then um my wife was the one just walking in the grocery store like yeah we're not doing that um because i've got kids and i need to communicate and so here's my little wisp of a wife who's walking along and some big burly dude is like wearing a mask and got to stay like six and a half feet away. And she's like, you okay? And he's like, yeah, why, why exactly am I doing this? Mm -hmm. it, talk about being in the grocery store. I remember early on in COVID, one of my members, this was a real video he took in the grocery store of a lady that was covered up in a garbage bag. 
she had you know cut out the hands and a face so that she could see but she was pr supposedly protecting herself from all the germs by shopping with a uh a, not grocery bag a garbage bag all the way over her body and then duct taped around her waist and so forth and he's just quietly giggling into the phone as he's videotaping her so here's another article i'll share on facebook uh, this is from louder with crowder i can't always share louder with crowder stuff because of the language on it this one's clean but this is from a comedian it says comedian ben Bonkus looked like any other average american man in the short clip shared to social media tuesday he was wearing a black shirt, blue eyes, and an expression of total exhaustion from keeping up with the stupidity of the modern world. But behind his everyman uniform, Bonkus was hiding much sharp wit. He should have registered as a dangerous weapon. So he, this is part of his show. He said he asks uh, an audience member, are you sick, ma'am? Because he sees this lady wearing a big black face mask, face mask despite the fact that it's 2024. Instead of answering, the woman burst into laughter. She knew it was coming next. Spankus continued, are you wearing that for safety or just to let everybody know who you're voting for? I think she's laughing. I can't tell, he says the audience. And isn't that the truth? That those then that are still wearing a mask, it often becomes just a signal of something else than instead of just fear. And if it's just, and if it's fear, then we've got a bigger problem because I have a I have a, something I'm going to share from one of our fans that wrote on Facebook today. But if you want to add anything to it before I write, read what she says. Yeah, I think. Uh, no, I don't have anything to add. OK. All right. So Kathy Ingalls writes today and I encourage all of you to, again, you know, follow us on YouTube, on the Raised with Jesus Network, Facebook. Uh, you can follow me on uh the raised with the uh, resisting the dragon's beast on X or Twitter, and I, I, right now I'm sharing all of these quotes from this chapter over the next several months. It'll take a while to get through this very long chapter. I usually share between one to four paragraphs a day, but uh, Kathy writes in response to what I had shared this morning. This is the answer I usually gave for why I refused the masks, even if it was to make others feel more comfortable. It's wrong to hate your neighbor, of course, but what exactly does loving your neighbor entail? If your neighbor refuses to work, should you feed them or pay their rent over and over to the detriment of your own family? Now let's really jump in. If your neighbor has an unfounded, irrational belief, is it loving to cater to that belief by pretending it's real? As an extreme example, say your neighbor believes that zombie cats have taken over the planet and not only refuses to come outside, but thinks the only way to keep them at bay is for everyone to shave their head. Should you shave your head? It's a simple thing, really, when it comes down to it, it would cost you very little. So should you? The answer obviously is no, because catering to irrational beliefs just gives credence to fear and other damages such beliefs can cause. Clearly the masks never worked, just like the other recommended and she puts in quotations, solutions. And I wrote back, uh, zombie cats. That is awesome. So yeah. I, I think that's a, that's a great way of, of framing this whole thing. Mm -hmm. and, and I guess even, even beyond that, like the bottom line is you aren't responsible for somebody else's emotional instability. Mm -hmm. You aren't responsible for somebody else's irrational conclusions. 
Um, and, and you know, I'll have I'll have compassion for somebody who is um, who's afraid. I'll have compassion for somebody who is um, you know maybe not in the right mind or dealing with other struggles that that I am not at the moment. Um, but it is it is very judgmental <laughs> to say that. I need to act a certain way in order to make somebody else more comfortable in in their delusion, and um, it's not a healthy thing. I think that's where um, I mentioned that book before, uh, the book Nonviolent Communication uh, by Marshall Rosenberg, um, where he basically took Stoic philosophy and brought it together with modern psychology um, to help people understand your boundaries. Like, what are my boundaries? My boundaries is that. I'm responsible for how I act. And if you have an emotional reaction to my action, when that action is perfectly normal and fine, then that's your problem and not mine. Right. So then I asked the question in the study guide, what are some of the negative unintended consequences of government and experts' responses to COVID? And again, pay attention to how the media frames this. As we talk about these, uh, the negative things that we've seen that have happened, well, I'll, after you mention some of the things, I'll tell people how the media and so forth frames them. So what have been some negative unintended consequences? Oh, boy. Um, I think there's one negative would be looking to somebody else for a solution to your own your own life <laughs> like what is the policy what is the guidance from from those who are up above um you know unelected bureaucrats or otherwise um and looking to them instead of employing the gift of reason that that you have um like we live at a time where you can access access all sorts of information at the palm of your hand but to sit back and say i have to do what that other person said that i have to do um, or that, you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to be killing somebody else's grandma if I don't go along with what they say I should do. That is a very vulnerable position to be in. It is very vulnerable because, um, it's looking outside of somebody for outside of myself for what I ought to do. And it is opening me up or opening somebody else up to the idea of being othered that you know that person you know they are wearing a mask or they aren't wearing a mask they are wearing a yellow star they aren't wearing a yellow star that person is the problem that person is less than human that person deserves to be shut away that person deserves to be silenced and all it is a very small leap when we are simply operating on emotion of uh, i'm looking for somebody to tell me how i should act so that i feel better about myself and i feel safer and it's a small leap to then acting on that emotion and saying the problem is that person and um, and we should do whatever we can to seclude that person off from society. Yeah, so I guess and my, my concern is totalitarianism. OK, <laughs> and it's a yeah. lot closer than anybody thinks. Right. And I was thinking of things like, you know, one one thing would be our school kids are behind, not your kids because they're homeschooled. <laughs> But but other kids that they took half a year off from school. Now they may have said they did Zoom, but that was nothing. That was awful. Uh, and those and people, when you listen to the media today, when they frame it, and they'll say, "Well, 
the these kids are behind with their reading skills, their math skills, and so forth because of COVID. No, they are they did not they're not behind in math and reading and so forth and social skills because of COVID. They're behind in those things because of the government's response to COVID. Mm-hmm. And that's a very important way of framing it. So you always have to listen to how people are framing these things. Uh, some other things that I do mention in the book and, and that I don't is uh, unintended consequences might be, you know, people not going to the hospital for months, for a year, and then they go with undiagnosed cancer uh, or other things. They're not going to the dentist. Yeah, skip going to the dentist for like two years and then you're stressed out and and you're eating a lot more chocolate than you should. And then all of a sudden, well, where did this cavity come from? And it's not just, you know, a tiny little fix anymore. Yeah, Uh, I do mention this, the gross masks that a study was done in Florida on all of the germs on these masks because these kids, they're wearing them six to eight hours a day. They're wearing them for sports. Uh, they're not, they're touching them all the time. They're gross. And then they're using them day after day and they're filthy. Well, they're going to get sick from other things because they're uh, breathing all that stuff in. Uh, they're not, they're not seeing other people's faces. Like you said, they're not being able to read lips. And so they're, uh, I, I mentioned this in the book that they are other studies have done, and these were silenced for a long time, that kids are showing autis- autistic-like symptoms. And I, I remember bringing this up at a pastor's conference, and I had one pastor get so upset with me. He said, this is why pastors shouldn't deal with medical things like this, because you can't catch autism. I said, I didn't say that they are autistic. I said they have autistic-like symptoms. I was like, oh, because you got to pay. Even pastors have to learn to listen a little bit. Uh, <laughs> uh, what else did I write down here? Uh, there's that fear. They created fear in people, fear of other people. Uh, the kids are f- afraid that they might kill grandma. And, uh, and, they're feeling, and they're feeling this, guilty. What's that? Like statistically um... – Though the only people who were, or the people who were most at risk were people age 80 and over, especially if you already had a compromised immune system or COPD or other complications and you're dealing with diabetes, um, three or more complications with the BMI that's, uh, that's out of whack. And um, yes, you're more vulnerable to that, just like you're more vulnerable to a heart attack and that the children were actually the, the least vulnerable to, to the initial infection. I will, I will say, you know, that question of, catching it multiple times or having long-term consequences because you're dealing with a specific type of protein that we haven't really had to deal with before. There's definitely that. But for governmental policy to say these children who are at lowest risk are now not allowed to go to school because um, they become a vector for transmission. Um, all the, the attitude toward children is like, oh, children are dirty, children are gross. I can't get close to those kids because they might sneeze on me and kill me or, or make me sick. Um, it's an attitude toward children that cuts them down from being, you know, even at the very least, a, a gift to a family and part of a family, an equal member of a family. 
to somebody who has to be ostracized, somebody who is a carrier of disease, um, exactly the way that um, in the 19th century, the US treated immigrants coming in like dirty foreigners, dirty foreign immigrants. And now we're talking about children that way. Um, and it is, it is a far cry from, um, you know, Jesus saying, let the little children come to me or the, uh, the VDMA catechism and all these woodcuts from Cronach. And it's like all these pudgy little babies crawling all over Jesus. And it's, um, it's an attitude that, that is, has become more prevalent, I would say. Yeah. And so in the book, I talk about fear and paranoia. I wish I would have used the phrase fear porn because that's really what it was. And then again, listen to how the media and government officials are framing these things now, because as Fauci and like the head of public school system in America, you know, when they are dragged before Congress to answer for what I would say these crimes, but that's not how media frames it. When they're dragged before them, they have said they did not close the schools. And that's an outright lie. They did. And, and don't let them lie about that. Uh, one last question to kind of wrap up this section for today. Peter, what would have been a better common sense approach to mitigating COVID? I don't know. I think, <laughs> I, I think, I mean, there are some still some lingering questions um, going back to the Obama administration and who is funding, um, you know, for instance, at least one, one aspect of this, who is funding um, research at that viral Institute of virology in, in Wuhan. Um, and if that is funded in some way by the US government, is that something that we should be doing? I think that's a that's a question that at least should be asked and uh, discussed. And um, but then how else do we react? I think um, by the time by the time COVID really flared up here, we had enough data to say, you know, the, the death rate, you know, where we could plot a death rate on if you are in this age with this number of comorbidities, then you need to watch out. Um, however, it, that does not describe, you know, 90 to 95% of the U.S. population. Um, and understanding that it's something that we're all going to get uh, one way or another, we can deal with the fallout, but maybe the, the bigger problem, because you're looking at a COVID death toll, um, let's take a step back and let's look at uh, cardiac disease death toll. Let's look at how many car crashes we have on our highway. Let's contextualize this in, in comparison to other accidents and other cause, causes of death, um, where it, it sounds big, bad, boogeyman, scary, because, um, because we've, especially if you're, you know, over, if you were born in the 40s or after you have you have encountered you know multiple um, pandemics epidemics over over your lifetime and it's kind of imprinted on us as something to be afraid of um, and at the very least contextualizing it with what we ought to be afraid of maybe the problem isn't the children and the masks maybe the problem is the cheetos that we can't and the tv that we can't stop watching we need to get off our butts and go exercise um, yeah get on your fat bike in the in 12 degree weather or yeah, for instance, or you know, get up and go to the Y. You know, have your congregation have a, a partnership with your local YMCA, and uh, and you'll get a discount. Um, and and having that so maybe, in mind, maybe that would be better 
to do that as a church. And I was just talking to my associate, Pastor Klusmeyer, about uh, doing uh, once a month pub theology where we would do a Bible study at a local brewery. No, that's take probably a community the, garden, go biking together, yeah. have a biking club. And yeah, and not that, you know, beer in and of itself is a bad thing, but um, I would be hard pressed to name the, the health benefits of it aside from the taste for yeah. those of us who like it. Um, and so, but I think a, a better way of handling this would be to take a step back and say, well, the experts, uh, we don't know to what extent they have an answer or to what extent they were involved in causing this problem. And, um, and what's a more logical way of mitigating risk for those most at risk and um, getting on with life for those most in need of getting on with life, which is all of us. And for heaven's sake, don't kill our economy because the economic fallout, we're talking like 30, 40% inflation over the last three years. Uh, yeah, and one of the things that I wrote down then, what would have been a better common sense approach? Because yes, this was a novel virus. We didn't know how to handle it. But after two weeks, they said to slow the spread. We knew everything that we were going to know. Nothing changed from those first two weeks. So I write in the book about how I remember getting chicken pox when I was a kid. How? Because we had chicken pox parties. Because you wanted the other kids. You wanted to get kids to have chicken pox as a kid, because I think later on it can, well, it can be much worse. I don't know if it can become shingles or whatever it is, but it can be much worse when you have adult onset chicken pox. You had it as kids and you got everyone infected. And I know of families in our church where because schools were doing things like, you know, contact tracing so that if you were around someone who was sick with COVID, now you were out for like a week or more or 10 days. And so these kids were missing uh, day, weeks upon weeks of school. Mm -hmm. And so I know of at least one family, uh, there are more, but one comes to mind where they all had COVID, but their high school daughter did not. And they were trying to give her COVID. They were, uh, they weren't like sneezing on her or anything, but they were uh, drinking from the same cup and giving it to her so she would get it and hugging her and all the things that you weren't supposed to be doing because you were afraid of getting people sick and she wouldn't get it. She could not get sick. And one of the things I always tease because I don't get sick very often, although my wife knows that when I do get sick, I tell her, you know, if I were a normal human being, this would kill someone. <laughs> <laughs> you could finish that sentence so many different ways. If Mike yeah. Zarling were a normal human <laughs> yes. being. Yes. And so uh, this would this would kill a normal human being, what I have right now. But what I do, and I tell as I go into the preschool classroom, I hang out with them and I rub my hands on their germ-infested tables and I rub it all over my face. And that's my <laughs> inoculation from any kind of disease because schools are germ factories. But it's, see you it's like walking in and licking the handrail. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but there had to be a more common sense approach than to, sh like you said, shutting down the economy. That was not common sense. It was overreaction. And we'll talk more about that because this is a long chapter and we're only like uh, four oh, yeah. questions in my study guide. Uh, and I guess, um, you know, my, my initial reaction is I would defer to that guy like, we talk a little bit sometimes about alternate media and uh, and Joe Rogan is um, 
he's been the most popular podcast or top three for like a decade or more. Um, and he does use a little bit of vulgar language sometimes if that's not, you know, just a trigger warning. Um, but at the end of January or beginning of February of 2020, he had an epidemiologist on uh, from the University of Michigan, uh, Minnesota, I think. Guy is brilliant. He's a leader in the field. And, um, and he had some fantastic recommendations like, um, let's begin by treating this the way we treat diagnosing any other illness. Do you have the symptoms? Then, then stay home and treat the symptoms. If you don't, get on with life. Um, you could, you'd have to you know, dig back through the archive. I don't know if it's on YouTube, but I'm pretty sure it was end of January, beginning of February, 2020. Fascinating discussion. Right. And since you brought up, you know, Joe Rogan, who is the most popular podcast, you were sharing with me about where our podcasts are with the Raised with Jesus. Oh, yeah. Like second most popular after Joe Rogan. <laughs> no, what'd you say? We were in the top seven for Lutheran podcasts yeah definitely uh, definitely top seven we might be seven well, for wells of, uh, of wells podcast that i know um you know my best guess would be right around uh four or five um and of all podcasts we'd be right around um seven seventh percentile maybe eighth percentile so top about uh eight percent of all the podcasts that you can find so yeah. special thank you to everyone who tunes in, downloads, and listens. Share with a friend and find it in your podcast app. Just search RWJ, like Raised with yep. Jesus. Yeah, and then uh, on YouTube, the key is comment, share. Uh, more and more people are starting to share the content. They're finding the book in different ways. So keep getting it out there. Again, YouTube, uh, the Raised with Jesus podcast, Facebook X. You can write reviews on Amazon. I'm going to get out and uh, start sending emails to the Wells pastors and teachers again. And this time when I send them the letters, I'm going to be using reviews that others have written. Uh, then two last things wrap it up so this is a quote from uh the youtube video on episode 18 that sam writes hello nph michael zarling sends his regards is that that was our that was our encouragement to let northwestern publishing house know that they should be carrying our book and then uh pastor persons uh, had called me this week so he's in missoula montana and he had contacted me when he first found the book. And then he called me because they had just finished going through the book. And he, he was he thought it was excellent. And so, Peter, he asked when the next book is coming out. <laughs> and I didn't have an answer for him. I said, I haven't even thought about a second book since we're still working on promoting this one. So what would be the, like the, the subject or the narrower topic of this, of this second book? Um, like still resisting the dragon's beast. I, well, I was, I was trying to think of, there was another R word, another verb that we had come up with and we had put it on uh, our discussion on Facebook, but you and I talk every day on Facebook. So I want I don't want to go through all of that, but I'll, I'll come up with it. Um, oh, I know what it was. It was rebuking the beast. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I that's what it was. Write that down. I am writing it down, and I'll I'll lose this one too. But <laughs> that is, uh, if we do another book, that's what it would be. Is not just resisting and saying no. It's rebuking and and telling them that they're wrong. And that's kind of maybe what we're 
talking about in this chapter is telling them the wrong. Uh, we're not really calling them to repentance yet now, uh, but just laying things out. And that's what we're going to be doing for the next few, few episodes. So we'll wrap it up so here. Then, oh, so then after writing, rebuking, after writing, rebuking the dragon's beast, then you have to promise a trilogy like George Martin, and then just hold off for another decade or two. Oh yeah. Yeah. Let me think on that and see <laughs> what other R word I can come up with or resisting rebuking and some so some other awesome. kind of uh all right so lord's blessings until we see you next week